I'm Brett McGarry. This week on the Couch Potatoes, we'll journey to the marvelous land of Wakanda for a review of Black Panther. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. The road to the Oscars continues with a look at Call Me By Your Name. Plus, the God of Thunder comes home. We'll tell you how you can watch Thor Ragnarok. First, it's the news. From the couch. How do you find with respect to the charge of criminal indifference? We find the defendants guilty. We'll be out in a year. And then we'll be back. That's how Seinfeld ended 19 years and 9 months ago. Not that I'm counting. Everyone hated the finale. Hard. I defended it for years, and while I'll still defend the concept, it did not offer a lot of laughs. It was mostly just a clip show, preceded on finale night by an hour-long clip show. A few years ago, the gang got back together on Curb Your Enthusiasm for a fake reunion. Are you going to do the Blackberry head down thing on me now? What is with the Blackberry people? Can I just pick up a magazine, hold it in front of your face, and read it while you're talking? Is that okay, too? And ever since it went off, Jerry gets asked now and then if they'll come back. Why? Why not? We love the show, but... Yeah, and maybe it's nice that you continue to love it instead of us tampering with something that went pretty well. Of course, the state of television has changed, and now it's not such a stupid question. Jerry was on Ellen this week. So let's talk. So all these these sitcoms are having a resurgence. So Roseanne is doing. Mm-hmm. I heard Murphy Brown. Is that really true? Murphy Brown's doing it. Um, so Murphy Br- and 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 Candace Bergen is coming back. Yes. 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 See. And I, I think I know where you're going with yeah, this. Yeah, I think you well, do. Why don't you finish it? Well, <laughs> do you think, Jerry, there would be a possibility that the Seinfeld it's, would come back? It's possible. Two words, it's possible. He didn't really elaborate. People are going nuts, but I would be shocked beyond shocked if they came back for one thing. Making Seinfeld was a ton of work for Jerry. Now he's 63. He likes his stand-up comedy schedule. He does not need the hassle nor the money, no matter how much they throw at him. And number two, he likes his legacy. In that other clip, he alluded to it. He knows he's going down as probably the greatest sitcom in history in the minds of millions, and he wants to keep it that way. I mean, heck, they did a whole episode about leaving on a high note. His showmanship won't let him return. So even though it's possible, don't hold your breath on a Seinfeld reunion. Just enjoy the masterwork the show once was. I think you forgot my bread. Bread, two dollars extra. Two dollars, but everyone in front of me got free bread. You want bread? Yes, please. Three (laughs) dollars! What? No soup for you! Have you ever seen Elaine dance? It's the puffy shirt. The man's ear. He's just a dentist. Yeah, and you're an anti-dentist. That is one magic loogie. Well, sometimes you can't help these people till they hit rock bottom. His wife's in a home. By then, you lost interest. I was in the pool! I'm out. Well, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. You're telling me... <laughs> you're telling me that we won the Illinois State Lottery, $108 million. Is that what you're telling me? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> Let's tell Dan. No! First little teaser for the return of Roseanne came out this week, and it may provide an answer to one of the burning questions. How will they bring Dan back to life? In the series finale, which aired nearly 21 years ago, it was revealed that not only did the Connors not win the lottery, but that 
John Goodman's character had died of a heart attack. I lost Dan last year when he had his heart attack. It's still the first thing I think about when I wake up and the last thing I think about before I go to sleep. I miss him. There are not a lot of quality clips of Roseanne on YouTube for some reason. Anyways, they had even showed Dan having his heart attack the season before. I really don't feel so good. I'm not kidding. Maybe you should go find a phone and call Dr. Walker. Dan? Call somebody. But he survived it and continued with the show through its final season. People didn't care much for the switcheroo in the finale, but it was a year before that Seinfeld finale, and people didn't lose their heads like they do now over every finale. But people so far don't seem to mind shows torquing their finales to fit their revivals, and the 30-second tease for the new Roseanne seems to show how they're going to do it with Dan's death. You see the iconic Connor couch that we hear off stage? Dan! Dan, I thought you were dead. <laughs> Just yell from another room, Dan, I thought you were dead. Doesn't make much sense if you look too close, but they're probably banking on people not caring that much. Roseanne comes back for its nine-episode 10th season on ABC March 27th, by the way. And while the show did tackle a lot of tough real-world issues, usually in a much more realistic way than other sitcoms, they occasionally had fun with death, like the time Jackie had to call a hard-of-hearing aunt to tell her that Jackie and Roseanne's dad had died. Annie Barbara? It's Jackie. Jackie. I'm fine. Fine. I'm fine. I have some bad news. Dad is not with us anymore. I said, Dad has passed away. He's passed away. Dad is gone. Dad's dead. Prepare indeed for the return of the bad guys from the Karate Kid, the Cobra Kai. What do we study here? The way of the fist, sir! And what is that way? Strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir! I can't hear you! Strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir! The first footage has been released for Cobra Kai, a 10-episode, half-hour comedy series from YouTube Red. It will be set 30 years after The Karate Kid Part 3, or Karate, to put it into Seinfeld terms, and it will see Ralph Macchio reprise his role as Daniel LaRusso, with William Zabka reprising his role as Daniel's rival, Johnny Lawrence. Fighting positions. I just don't know why you'd ever want to bring back Cobra Kai. We're not trained to be merciful here. Mercy is for the weak. I love that song. Here's the official synopsis for Cobra Kai. Long after Daniel San triumphed over Johnny twice in the All Valley Karate Tournament, both martial artists have grown up and gone on to live different lives. 
With Mr. Miyagi's life lessons, Daniel has found personal success in his own family and career as a car dealer. Johnny, however, has fallen on hard times. You may know the moves, but none of that matters unless you have balance. Are you ready to learn the way of the fist? Yes, sir! Seeking to reclaim what glory he had from the past, Johnny reopens the infamous karate dojo that he once ruled as its ace student, and Daniel is having none of it. Cobra Kai is set to debut later this year. Johnny, you and I, this, we aren't done. Superheroes are illegal. We want to fight bad guys. I don't need bad guys. It defines who I am. We're not saying you have... What? Someone on TV said it. Disney Pixar unveiled a sneak peek during the Olympics this week for The Incredibles 2. The follow-up to the 2004 animated adventure about a family of superheroes. Craig T. Nelson is back as Bob, a.k.a. Mr. Incredible. Holly Hunter is back as Helen, a.k.a. Elastigirl. And Samuel L. Jackson is back as Frozone. Elastigirl is about to be called into action, leaving Bob at home to watch the family. I was approached by this tycoon wants to talk about hero stuff. Help me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need Elastigirl. Bye, sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. Not the way you're supposed to do it, Dad. They want us to do it. I don't way. know that way. Why would they change math? No, math is math. Math is math. math. All over Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf's are dozing. Her eyelids so heavy. They're drooping. Closing! However, a new villain emerges, of course, because, you know, superheroes. So the family in Frozone must band together to save the day. Rounding out the voice cast are Bob Odenkirk and Jonathan Banks from Better Call Saul, Catherine Keener, Sophia Bush, Isabella Rossellini, and Brad Bird. The Incredibles 2 opens June 15th. I couldn't have done this if you hadn't taken over so well. I've got to succeed so she can succeed. So we can succeed. I get it, Bob. What the? That is freaky. But I can't keep giving him cookies. Nobody in a daddy. What? Done properly, parenting is a heroic act. <laughs> Done properly. <laughs> as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. To me, being a gangster was better than being president of the United States. To me, it meant being somebody in a neighborhood that was full of nobodies. Martin Scorsese, director of notable gangster movies, Goodfellas, Casino, Gangs of New York, and The Departed, is going to head back a little further in history than he usually does with a TV show about Julius Caesar. Apparently, he's a big History of Rome buff. He's teaming up with screenwriter Michael Hurst for The Caesars. Hurst has previously written The Tudors and Vikings, so The Caesars will likely look more like that than like this. You know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> you mean, so, let me understand this, because I don't you know, maybe it's me, I'm a little up maybe but i'm funny how i mean funny like i'm a clown i amuse you i make you laugh i'm here to f-ing amuse you what do you mean funny funny how how am i funny 
Reports say Scorsese and Hearst have already written a pilot and outlined a few seasons worth of stories. They hope to get rolling in the next year. However, they don't have a home for the show yet, but that sort of thing usually does pretty well if it doesn't cost too much. And at this point, I expect Scorsese knows how to go about wrangling funds. And if people don't want to give him money, he knows some guys that'll help convince them. When I was your age, they would say we could become cops or criminals. What I'm saying is this. When you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? I saw a commercial for a movie the other day and thought, hey, that looks fun. Then this week, Amazon Studios and STX Films released the final trailer for it. It's called Gringo. Medical marijuana is already a multi-billion dollar industry. So the future is this weed pill. I'm still not sure about this. Look, most people will tell you Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon. But even a complete idiot will tell you Neil Armstrong did it first. And do you know why he went first? Was the hatch opened on his Because side? he pushed Buzz Aldrin out of the way and seized history by the <laughs> I'm satisfied. Gringo stars Charlize Theron, David Oyelowo, Joel Edgerton, Amanda Seyfried, Tandy Newton, and Charlotte Copley. It's a dark comedy mixed with action and intrigue that takes boring businessman Harold, played by Oyelowo, into Mexico, where he gets caught up with drug lords and a black ops mercenary. Will Harold survive his harrowing adventure? Find out when Gringo is released March 9th. You work for bad people. I don't think you can survive that. Gringo. Please, God, save me from this man. You really believe in God? Of course I believe in God. What kind of person does not believe in God? I guess I kind of do, but... In theaters, March 9th. That is the news from the couch. Up next, find out which thunderous release is coming to digital HD. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. He's a friend from work. I'm Brad, he's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes, looking at what is coming to home video this upcoming week. Jeff, what was that? Thor Ragnarok. Ooh, very nice. Ragnarok. The God of Thunder comes home to digital HD. It's the third Thor movie, and it was actually my favorite film of 2017. I just loved this movie. That's by far the best Thor movie. Yeah. Oh, or did no? You really well, like that first one, right? I love that first one. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know that I can pick out of the two because they're so different. I like them both for different reasons. I think. Fair enough. I'd probably give the edge to Thor Ragnarok, but I still do love that first Thor movie. I, I'd have to think about that one. Let me think about Speaking that. Speaking of Thor, the first one, you know who directed that, don't you? Kenneth Bragnall. Oh. Oh, amazing. Well, he stars in a movie that comes out on digital HD next Tuesday as well. <gasps> Murder on the Orient Express, which I saw and liked very much. It's really, it's a clever, if you, it's an Agatha Christie novel, of course, and it was a movie 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and now it's been redone by, by Kenneth Branagh, and he stars in it, and it was, uh, it's a good murder mystery, and it's also pretty funny, and it's very entertaining. My name is Hercule Poirot. Yes, and I am probably the greatest detective on earth. <laughs> okay. And they're doing a sequel, the, uh, what was it called? Something on the Nile. Murder on the Nile. Probably. 
He's coming back in a yeah. sequel. Yeah, I got to see that for sure. So uh, Digital HD, by the way, these are platforms like iTunes, Google Play, that sort of thing. These are precursors to the Blu-ray and on-demand releases. On-demand is where you can rent it on your PVR or whatever. And there's another big release on Digital HD. Lady and the Tramp, the Walt Disney Signature Collection, and like the others, will be followed in a few weeks with the Blu-ray release. But yeah, you can uh, buy that off iTunes or whatever on Tuesday as well. Okay. I didn't know they sold that stuff like that. I thought they only sold hard copies. Yeah, well, I guess uh, might as well do it on digital Why if they can make a couple extra bucks that way. Uh, and on Blu-ray and DVD, if you do want hard copies of your stuff on Tuesday, you can get The Florida Project, starring an uh, Academy Award nominee, Willem Dafoe. That's a great movie. I saw that one. Daddy's Home 2, which is the Marky Mark and Will Ferrell comedy, and The Star, which is an animated uh, Bible tale about the uh, birth of Jesus. Okay, and that's where the one with all the animals who right. talk and sing yeah. and stuff? Yeah. Very good. All right, still to come in the Couch Potatoes, Jeff Braun has a review of Call Me By Your Name, as he has been getting caught up in all of the Best Picture nominees as we move towards the Oscars, which are not far away. Uh, But up first, I have a review of the big one this... You know what? It's the biggest movie so far this year. Yep. Black Panther. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes, and it's time now for a review of... Black Panther. Must feel good. Sitting here comfortable. What do you want? Your secrets. Weapons. I'ma burn it all. This ends today. Who need a hero? Black Panther. You need a hero. Rated PG-13. And rated PG in Canada. Black Panther is the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The story of a character we first met on a film in 2016, Captain America Civil War. Black Panther, a.k.a. T'Challa, king of the fictional African nation of Wakanda, is played once again by Chadwick Boseman. Wakanda is a super technologically advanced country, way ahead of the rest of the world, thanks to its gigantic store of a metal called vibranium which we've seen before in small doses. Captain America's shield, for example, is made of it, or was made of it, I guess. Wakanda is protective of its people and its resources, and they've managed to hide themselves from the rest of the world. Not in the sense that no one knows they exist, but they've successfully convinced the world they are a poor farming country with nothing to offer, so the rest of the world leaves them alone. It's quite an amazing place, and everything seems hunky-dory for T'Challa as he takes the throne, but a character named Eric Killmonger, played by Michael B. Jordan, is coming for T'Challa, and the fate of the entire nation, and quite frankly, the fate of the world, rests on T'Challa's ability to stop him. It's a great movie, it's fun, it's relevant, it's important, it's timely, it's another, yet another, solid movie from Marvel. More on why it's an important film in a moment, but first let's talk about the movie and whether or not it's good or bad. Well, the most important thing I want to point out on that front is you do not have to be a superhero nerd to see this. You can go in knowing nothing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and enjoy it. It manages to tell a great standalone story while also fitting into the bigger picture for those who know what that bigger picture is. Black Panther surprised me with its rather layered story of family drama. It felt more like just a straight-up drama that kind of happened to be a comic book movie. Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, the Black Panther, 
was one of the best parts of Captain America Civil War. He is a real screen presence, and every word he says just sounds like he's carrying the weight of the world. He continues to bring that enigmatic presence in this film, and his supporting cast incredibly fleshed out. They could have easily gone with archetypes, you know, characters who are just kind of puzzle pieces. Michael B. Jordan as the bad guy. Lupita Nyong'o as the ex-girlfriend. Uh, Dania Guerrera as a butt-kicking warrior, who, by the way, is a leader of King T'Challa's special military force. All women, by the way. Letitia Wright is T'Challa's sister-slash-tech expert who makes weapons that would make Tony Stark's head spin. Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out plays an angry man out for revenge. Angela Bassett is T'Challa's mom. Forrest Whitaker plays a kind of holy wise man. Andy Serkis is another bad guy. Even Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us has a small but important role. And as it turns out, all of these characters are super important to this film. They all have clear motivations that go way beyond ex-girlfriend that go way beyond sleazy bad guy and it's all so good to see that kind of depth in a movie that could have just played it safe and played it lazy but i think the side effect of that is that t'challa gets somewhat lost in the shuffle although the flip side i suppose is that black panther's story isn't just the story of the black panther but of wakanda and all of its people so i guess i can forgive them that. But I don't think what I can forgive is the way that they used Black Panther. In Captain America Civil War, he was cool. He was this stealthy warrior with powers to match that of Captain America. I mean, Jeff, you remember that scene of him running in traffic where he's running faster than the cars? That was crazy. Super cool. He's just this stealthy warrior that you did not want to mess with. In Black Panther, he still does cool stuff. And we learn why he has powers. So that's also good because that mystery gets solved quick. But it ends up being more about what his suit can do, what his technology can do. And the way that they use him on screen very much reflects the suit rather than his ability, his power. But again, you could argue that they do that as a way to showcase Wakanda because it's not just the Black Panther's powers that make him special, but it's all of Wakanda that makes him a hero. Still, I wanted to see him beat more people up. Wonderful visuals. They've created a beautiful landscape in Wakanda. Tremendous visual effects. I would say the 3D didn't really do anything special in this particular film, maybe for a couple of scenes, but for the most part, you don't need to see it in 3D. Also, there is, of course, a mid credit scene, which ties into why the movie is important. And the end credit scene, kind of a throwaway. It's more just a reminder that says, hey, there is a bigger picture, a bigger universe at play here. So let's talk about why the film is important. By the way, if you're just tuning in, Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes. We're talking about Black Panther, new in theaters this weekend. I would say Black Panther is important because... They look at a lot of things that you don't expect from a comic book movie. It's an important social message from an unlikely source. Set in this fictional African country of Wakanda, it's a country that's always been reclusive and protective. They've kept their borders closed. They don't want outsiders in their country. So when you hear them say things like that, it kind of stops you in your tracks because you think, well, that's real-world stuff. We hear this kind of talk all the time. It also stops you because you can empathize with them. You can understand why they have this mentality. And then you think... Should I be empathizing with that? Do I feel guilty for that? I'm kind of wrestling with this, and they're wrestling with it too. It's also important for the social relevance of the film. I mean, this is the first film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe about a black superhero as the lead. 
Yes, there have been other movies with black heroes like Blade, for example, which is based on a Marvel Comics property, but that was before the MCU. There was Spawn, Steel. Remember Steel? With Shaq? Yeah. That doesn't count as a superhero movie. <laughs> it is based on a DC Comics uh, That character. doesn't matter. It still doesn't count. <laughs> or there's That's one... like saying Inspector Gadget counts as a detective <laughs> movie, okay? There's also a couple that played for comedy like Meteor Man. You remember Meteor Man? With Robert Townsend. Sort of. And Blank Man with Damon Wayans. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, Halle Berry as Catwoman. God, what an awful movie. And the CW just launched their TV show, Black Lightning, a few weeks ago, which can be watched in Canada, by the way, on both the CW and on Netflix. But this is the first one in the juggernaut franchise that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The comic character has been around for decades, Black Panther first appeared in Fantastic Four, number 52 in July of 1966, so he's been around for a while. But like many of the characters that Marvel has brought forth, the mainstream probably does not know who he is. Like Ant-Man, like the Guardians of the Galaxy. I'd never heard of the Guardians, and I like comic books. So it's important, I think, that they've been able to bring this character to the screen because it's not just the character, it's the culture that comes with it. Fictional country, yes, but it's still African culture. And a lot of people will see this movie only because it's a Marvel movie, because it's a superhero movie, so they'll go see this movie and then they'll find themselves immersed in a cultural experience unlike anything we've seen before yet in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think this could also launch an important trend for studios to really start looking for more big roles for different ethnicities and roles for women as well. I mean, we had the success of Wonder Woman last summer. So you take a character like Black Widow, one of the Avengers, played by Scarlett Johansson. She's awesome in that role, and the character is complicated and layered. So there's a ton of room there for her own standalone story. Why they haven't done that yet, I don't know. But they're talking about it quite seriously now, and there's clearly a demand for it. I mean, look at the Fast and the Furious movies, Jeff's favorite thing on Earth. Yes. They do big box office, not just... I mean, they do big box office in North America, but they do massive box office around the world because they have the most diverse cast in blockbuster filmmaking. Vin Diesel knows what's up, he, and he loves it. He did it with a triple X movie, too. It's like, oh, I need a team. Here's five people. It was it was basically one from every continent yep. around the globe. And yeah, the movie does fine in America and then just takes rakes in money everywhere else like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, they've got black characters, Hispanic characters, Asian characters, prominent female characters who are not damsels in distress. Fate of the Furious made $226 million domestic, which is respectable, Yeah, but over a billion dollars international. Yeah. <laughs> Furious 7 made over $1.1 billion international. So there is so much money to be made. I don't know why it's taken them so long to figure this out. And studios are also looking to avoid controversy related to whitewashing because remember the Oscars So White controversy a couple of years ago, it's still very much a thing that Natalie Portman movie that opens next week, I just learned this week, Annihilation is the movie, it's based on a book series Portman's character is Asian but that first book the movie is based on does not mention that, so the director didn't know Portman didn't know because they only read that one book, <laughs> so now as the movie's about to come out, it's coming under fire because everyone involved, and now everyone There's involved There's not an intern in the studio somewhere that they could say, hey, read all these books, let us know if we're Really screwing something up? Well, I think it's because the director said even though it's part of a series, he's imagining this film as it's a, one a standalone, standalone just a one-off. Uh, yeah. So whereas if they were to adapt the other films, I think he wanted them to kind of go in their own direction. Hmm. So now everyone involved 
feels kind of icky about the whole thing. Wrapping up, uh, getting back to Black Panther, I liked it as a Marvel movie, I liked it as an action movie, and I liked it as a family drama, and I liked it as a film with a real-world social agenda. It's a little bit slow at times, it's two hours, 20 minutes, and I don't think they showcased the Panther as well as I would have liked, but overall, this is a fine entry into the MCU. I'm going to give Black Panther four couch cushions. Out of five. Does he know Eric Killmonger's a bad guy right away? Because with a name like that, how could you not? Yeah, it's kind of a, a giveaway <laughs> name. But yeah, as soon as he meets him, he knows there's something going on. And that Michael uh, B. Jordan, will, he'll always be Wallace to me. He's on The Wire. Was he really? He's like one of the kids in the first season of The Wire. Oh, well, I always reckon, I, I always first think of him as the, the second quarterback to appear in the TV show Friday Night Lights. Oh, really? He's on that? Yeah, he comes in in uh, later seasons. Oh, he was excellent in that. And he was also the Human Torch in that failed Fantastic Four reboot, which I never saw. Right. And, and Creed. Uh, oh, yeah, he was amazing in Creed as Adonis Creed. <laughs> uh, up next, Jeff Braun wants mm-hmm. you to call him by your name. Say what? Find out what that means in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. Oh, wait. My mistake, Brett. I called me by your name. Oh. But as it turns out, that's okay. Because the road to the Oscars continues this week with the Best Picture nominee, Call Me By Your Name. I can show you around. That'd be great. Thank you. I like your love. Oh, to see without my eyes. Is there anything you don't know? First time that you... If you only knew how little I know about the things that matter. Are you saying what I think you're saying? Call me by your name, rated R. Call Me By Your Name stars Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer. We all know the Hammer at this point. He, of course, was the Lone Ranger in the hit Johnny Depp movie. <laughs> Chalamet, though, you probably don't know. Oddly enough, the first time I saw him was like a month ago. He's in Lady Bird. He plays one of Lady Bird's boyfriends, and he's really funny in that. Here, he is less funny, but there are a lot of parallels to Lady Bird. While that film, one of the very best of the past year, was a coming-of-age story about a 17-year-old girl in Sacramento, California in 2000. Call Me By Your Name is a coming-of-age story about a 17-year-old boy somewhere in northern Italy, according to the movie, in 1983. Chalamet plays Elio, the son of a professor of antiquities or something. The dad is played wonderfully by Michael Stuhlbarg, but I was never clear on what exactly his job was. They didn't seem to be near a university. They're pretty rural, but he was very professorial and into ancient statues and also linguistics. And for some reason, the dad needs an assistant over the summer, and that's how Army Hammer comes into the picture. He comes over to Italy from America to help Stuhlbarg. I think Stuhlbarg's character is American. I think his wife is German, question mark. And Elio is somehow Italian. Not really sure how it worked. Even though they did explain it. I was just having a dumb moment, apparently. Anyhow, Hammer plays Oliver, the research assistant. The movie, like I said, is a coming-of-age tale for Elio. It's mostly him coming to grips and exploring his sexuality. He and Hammer fall in love. They have a summer affair, which, of course, changes Elio's life, being that he's just 17. Uh, But, of course, summers must end, and by far the best part of this movie is the final 15 minutes. The final shot, which is the film's most powerful, plays with the credits rolling over top of it, which is a bold move I don't think I've ever seen before. The film definitely has an art house vibe to it. It's a very low-budget kind of indie movie. Unlike Lady Bird, which whips along at a frantic pace with a lot of very short scenes and abrupt editing, Call Me By Your Name feels like a walk alongside the river on a beautiful summer day. It is laid back, not in any rush, not wasting time, mind you, but just not in a 
any particular hurry. There's a natural pace to the developing story. The scenery really is one of the characters. The house is very old, has a lot of character to it. The summer countryside in northern Italy is um, simply gorgeous. I mean, maybe we appreciate it. It more watching in Canada in February. Chalamet gives a heck of a performance. He's a confused but sometimes cocky teenager who becomes more confused the harder he tries to find and understand himself. He does a couple of very teenage type things. You'll never want to eat another apricot for one. By the end, after we've seen all that he's gone through over the two hours, we can we can tell exactly what he's feeling even when his words say something else. And again, this last shot is probably what garnered him his best actor Oscar nod. Hammer's great in this too. I'm actually surprised he didn't get a supporting actor nomination and Stuhlbarg is also great in it he's always great and this is actually one of three best picture nominees he's in he is in a full third of the nominees he has a bigger role in the shape of water and a much smaller role in the post but in call me by your name he gets the good speech again it's right near the end I won't, don't want to give anything away but while I, I I liked everything that was in the movie it did sort of feel to me like something was missing I just couldn't connect with it as much as other people apparently are lots of people going head over heels for this one I think maybe once I started comparing and contrasting it with Lady Bird while I was watching it that may have taken me out of it and like I said Lady Bird was one of my favorite movies of the past year for sure but I will give Call Me By Your Name three and a half couch cushions out of five. It's definitely worth watching. It is, though, probably not in a theater near you right now, but it is on, going to be on digital HD February 27th, which I think would be the Tuesday before the Oscars. I think they're in the first week of March there. So if you're trying to, you know, watch all the Oscar movies too, you will have a chance to get to Call Me By Your Name before the big show. Okay, so you've now seen how many of the Best Picture nominees? Eight of nine, just Darkest Hour left. Okay, and that's available on Digital HD, right? It is. Which well, means it's probably available on Blu-ray. Very soon, probably next week. We'll okay. Probably, you want me to rank them? Yeah, if you can. A Lady Bird, The Shape of Water, Phantom Thread, Get Out, The Post, Dunkirk, Call Me By Your Name, and Three Billboards. Okay. And there's a, a sort of a growing backlash against Three Billboards, uh, many calling the yeah. film racist. Yeah. I, 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 when we talked about it a few weeks ago, I, we got into that a little bit. I didn't... I mean, there's racist characters in it, surely, but I didn't find that the film was racist. Okay. Well, hey, listen, I reviewed Black Panther earlier in the show. If you missed it, I gave it four couch cushions out of five. And I also watched the pilot episode for the CW's Black Lightning, which debuted a few weeks ago. It airs Tuesday nights on the CW, and then uh, new episodes uploaded weekly to Netflix. So next week on The Couch Potatoes, I'll tell you about Black Lightning and why you should watch it. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. You can find our podcast on Google Play and iTunes. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.